Hello and welcome to Subclass Act, a solo role-playing actual play podcast. I'm your host, James Schrall. Hello and welcome back. It's good to be back on the mic and, and trying to get a more um, a more regular cadence going. <laughs> back on the mic it makes me sound like a radio. Well, it's good to be back on the mic on the radio. <laughs> okay, um, I'm excited. I've got a few call-ins to respond to this week, which I'm very excited about. This week, I say that like I've been doing it by week, but I've got a few things uh, to respond to and a call out. They're all from uh, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, which is a good uh, OSR or just games in general, I suppose, podcast. Uh, I'm hoping to cap- catch up on the backlog soon. He's got a lot of episodes, so it's a lot to catch up on. And, uh, and Jason, you are prolific on the call-ins, on everybody's shows, it, it turns out, and I very much appreciate it. Uh, so without further ado, let's get straight into the call-ins. Hey, Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Just want to say, really enjoying the podcast. I've got to admit, I'm only up to episode four, so I'm not going to give you much commentary or questions or anything. I, I want to catch up to your current episode. But episode four, that is probably the worst Star Trek re- joke ever or reference ever. So I'll give you that. Um, but no, I'm really, really enjoying it. I totally understand why you switched to narrative because there was no way they were going to successfully get to that portal, you, you know, at that point in the adventure. So anyhow, I'm interested to see what goes on. I've got a number of episodes to go. So I'm going to catch up over the next couple days, and then once I'm all caught up, maybe I'll give you some commentary. So, But I, I really am enjoying it. Hey, James. Jason here. Just want to let you know I'm enjoying the podcast up to getting ready to listen to episode six. Depending on how long it takes me to get an episode out today, I'm off this afternoon. I will um, hopefully finish, get caught all the way up today. So and that'll be grass you need to get new episodes out. Anyway, really enjoying it. Keep up the great work. Hang in there. Talk to you soon. Hey, James. Jason here. Just finished episode six. Yeah, I know I'm behind. Sorry. Just haven't had time. So I did buy Offworlders, and and I'm almost through it. Sorry, I'm reading it at night to fall asleep to. But, um, yeah, I really like Offworlders. It's a really cool system. Another Dice Oracle you might want to check out, although you probably have, and maybe even talk about it in a later episode, Ray Otis over on Itch.io. If you go to Ray Otis's Itch.io, um, go to plundergrounds.com, I guess. You can find a link in my show notes, and I think I'll have a link to his Itch.io. But he's got an oracle out there that's that's a, kind of a simple oracle that, that works really good as well. So, Anyhow, really enjoying the show. Oh, I do have one other comment, though. Okay, second part. I yeah, I mentioned Ray Otis's um, yeah solo play thing. Go to Ray Otis Itch.io. Anyway, in episode, sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> a long, long day. I'm driving home in the rain, in the wind. Sorry about the noise. So, in episode six, when they face a trial, you know, you do the object and they resist, and then you have the combat. Explain how you resisted ha- having them fight shadow versions of themselves or evil versions of themselves in the trial combat. The listening audience wants to know. Anyhow, great show. About to start episode seven. Take care. 
Yeah, thanks, Jason, for the call-ins there. Yeah, I, I'll address them a little bit at a time. Yeah, that was the worst Star Trek reference. Uh, it's funny, I spend so much time in my normal in, uh, in my normal life referencing other things, Star Trek, Futurama, uh, just all, all kinds of stuff. But for some reason, when I get in front of the mic, I just uh, I, I lose my powers, I, I guess. Uh, maybe Clark Kent gets his powers from the sun. I get my powers from, I guess, not being in front of the mic. So either way, it's fun. Um, yeah, and then on to the next, uh, the next few ones there. Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, it's fun to, to know people are listening and enjoying the podcast. Uh, I, I enjoy making them, but it's, you know, it, it's always nice to have other people enjoying it as well. Uh, on Offworlders, yeah, I think Offworlders is, is an incredible system. I think, uh, e- even for those who aren't into the Powered by the Apocalypse system, I mean, I very much am. Um, I, one of the first games I ran, I ran 5th edition first, my first game, um, so when I started back in the hobby back in August, uh, but one, one of the other games that I started doing right up front, which I also picked up from the Adventure Zone, um, was Monster of the Week, which I think is just an incredible game, and, and that game really clicked with everybody. Um, at the same time, I had been trying to run Star Wars, uh, or just before that, I had been trying to run Star Wars Edge of the Empire, which is based on the uh, uh, the Genesis system, the Fantasy Flight games, which is which is fine. It's got the the funky dice, which is which is it, which is whatever. Um, but it was just too, especially, I think everybody, all of us were new to role-playing. That game was too, uh, hard to follow the fiction, uh, for us at the beginning. There was just too many facets to it. It was intimidating. Whereas Monster of the Week, it was just very, we could just get right into it. I'm also a big fan of Dungeon World and some of these other games. Um, but one of the things I like about Offworlders is it comes from sort of the simpler branch, like the, uh, world of dungeons, things like that. If you boil things down to just one basic move, I think that that's a really good core. And I, I thought that Offworlders has really good art, really good layout. I'm, I'm glad to have the physical copy now. Um, I think it's got a lot of, uh, good tables and things in it. And I, I really like some of the, the mechanics about roll read rolling one of the dice. I just think that's such a good system. The way supply works. I, uh, for my own game, Nova's and Nebulae, which I've mentioned a couple times, I think on the show, uh, it's a free game. If you want to check that out, it's on drive through and itch. Um, I, there were a bunch of games that I was influenced by, but off worlders was one where I took a lot of, I took a lot of ideas, I think from off worlders. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's really a great system. As far as going into the narrative, uh, yeah, I, I think the party was going to be pretty much doomed at that point, and I wanted to do some more cool stuff and also uh, respond to some feedback and, and try to show different oracles, different systems, even different genres. Part of it, too, because I want to uh, to try a bunch of this stuff out on the show as well before we get back into Treyminster, uh, hopefully, if the party survives, uh, and see kind of what works the best, what everybody enjoys the best. Um, cause if I get to, if I get to sort of like a season two kind of thing, um, whether it's the same with the same characters or a different story, I kind of want to see, uh, test the waters a little bit and see what everybody enjoys the most there. Uh, yeah. So you're probably still just a couple episodes behind as you're getting to this. Um, so there'll be other twists and turns that hopefully you'll enjoy, um, along the way, uh, as I'm getting into this new section, um, with, uh, with a um, this kind of post-apocalyptic world, this dark, maybe Fallout kind of world, I'm going to probably try to keep it a little bit more uh, towards Fallout and less of like Gamma World or Metamorphosis Alpha or anything like that. Um, I think this is a great oracle that you pointed out, the uh, Ray Otis's oracle. I'm, I'm really into all of uh, Ray Otis's stuff. I like listening to episodes of Plundergrounds and I've read through a lot of his stuff um, uh, on Itch. Um, this is a really good little oracle. So anybody who's um, curious what, like you mentioned, if you, uh, look up Ray Otis, 
uh, on itch.io. Uh, he's got a bunch of stuff on there, but he's got this Oracle, which you can print out as a pocket mod, which is a, it's a one sheet of paper that you can fold up into little pieces. I love these. Nate Treem makes these for, uh, there's, he has a little minimal system called NOSR or NOSR um, that is the same format. He's got a couple dungeons that are the same format. And then this uh, Ray Otis's uh, Oracle here is the same format, which is great. It's teeny, can fit in your pocket. You can make a bajillion of these in like two seconds. Um, this one I folded pretty poorly, but it'll work. Uh, this is like a lightweight version of Mythic, and I, what I really like is that he has you write down the motifs and the threads. He's got the random events table, which is very good. Um, uh, the stability, low, medium, high. I mean, it's kind of got all the favorite parts of Mythic in this teeny little pocket mod, so I'm going to use this for the next section. So thanks, Jason, for that. Um, yeah, as far as like when, when they were in the trial and not fighting a shadow version of themselves... It's really hard not to want to do that, and I think the only, I, I tried to think, like, that was the first thing that would have popped into my mind, too, and I tried to pick the second or third thing I think that would pop into my mind, if I'm rem remembering correctly, mainly because uh, I figure I was already uh, playing hard into the tropes of, I mean, I'm basically ripping off Dune <laughs> at that point, uh, with that kind of, kind of the desert vibe, and... Uh, if I that that would have been my first thought. I was thinking like you know Legend of Zelda. You have Shadow Link, um, or even in, in Star Wars when when Luke is uh, I guess hallucinating on Dagobah and and sees the kind of the, in some ways the shadow version of himself. Uh, yeah, hard hard to resist having them fight the shadow version of themselves. Uh, was it the right decision? I don't know. I guess we'll see. Maybe we're all fighting the sh shadow versions of ourselves uh, constantly. Well, I'll move on and get into uh, into the next section here. Thanks again to Jason. Anybody else who's interested, you can call in on anchor.fm. You can leave a message, um, and I can put it in the episode here. You can also, if you want to leave a message, but you'd prefer not to have your message in the in the show, then just let me know, and I, that, I can listen to it and enjoy that, and I'll not put it on if that's what you want. Um, yeah, feel free to call in, too, with any suggestions for oracles like this, uh, like Rayotis is here, uh, any game systems that you would want me to run, um, if I have it or if the PDF is inexpensive, uh, then that's something that I can certainly do. Uh, for now, I'm going to stick with, uh, even though I said I might not on the last episode, for now I'm going to stick with old school essentials just because I just made the new character sheets and converting everybody over is tedious after a while. So for now I'm going to stick with that also because it's just an amazing book and I want to get my hands on it more. Um, so I'm going to use the new Oracle. If you want a different uh, system for the uh, this kind of post-apocalyptic like, wasteland of some sort, I don't really know what kind yet, um, let me know. I've got some that, like I said, there may be good candidates. I thought about Index Card RPG, Savage Worlds. I just was too lazy to fill out the character sheets for that and remake the characters. Um, I actually even thought about using Troika for this because uh, I've been playing a lot of Troika lately and I love that. It's fairly lightweight and that would be easy for me to stat things up on the fly. But I'm going to stick with the old school essentials with these super cool character sheets from that and we're going to get rolling. Well, that was a really bad pun that I made by accident. Let's get rolling. We are going to literally get rolling, uh, starting with this oracle. So the way that Ray Ortis's oracle works here is that um, you have a starting scene, uh, and you figure out what's going to happen. You roll a stability die, kind of like on on Mythic, where you roll the d10 to see if it's under the chaos factor. Uh, you, then you ask a yes or no question to start the scene. That's interesting. I haven't started scenes with a, just a yes or no question, but I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, there's the possibility... Everything from certain to impossible, uh, which is really cool. Uh, so you have target numbers, and then normally you're rolling a 3d6, so you've got uh, three different dice colors. So there's kind of a, almost like a thing like I did with Mythic on here, because if uh, the 2d6, they're the same color, 
Um, so I've got two, new two blue dice here and one red one um, in this case. So if the, the two blue ones here are doubles, then it's exceptional. So it's a yes and, yes, or a no but, yes and, and everything like that. Um, if all of the dice are odd, kind of like in Mythic, that was a similar kind of thing. If all the dice are odd, then you roll in the events table, which I think is super cool. And then you kind of, says so you interpret the results, and then you continue the scene until, keep going through this process until everything is resolved. Very, very cool. Very uh, concise. There's uh, the idea here of writing down your motifs, your threads, um, characters, everything like that. So there's a kind of a glossary in the back. I, I think this is an excellent, excellent resource. Um, I've not used it before, so let's just get straight into it. So the first scene, I guess, uh, they've landed in this world. This uh, all they know is it's it's a bit grimy, uh, and it's it's the sky itself has kind of got this grayish color, not like um, not like the muted colors necessarily of this that like spiritual interstitial world that they've been to several times, but uh, more like you can tell that the way that something terrible has happened here. Um, it's it's not it's a it's like a vibrant grime I guess to put it that way uh, maybe there's like orangish hues in the sky everything is darker but not muted uh, in that way so yeah the sky is, is darker despite the fact that it's day so yeah let's get into it what would be a good yes or no question uh, I think let's start with like are they in some sort of a wilderness or are they in some sort of a city so uh, I'm gonna ask. Um, in a second here if we're if we're in some sort of a city but first I'm gonna roll in the stability to see if we need to twist the scene as it says in which case uh, you know we'll see we'll either use an event um, or we'll just twist it like I said we'll, we'll do kind of like before where we had an altered scene in in mythic terms so let's roll a d6 here and I've set the stability to five it says to start it at six normally because things are normally in control. I set it a little bit lower because we've been rolling with this adventure for a while now. Um, and it looks like stability goes between four, which is low, and high, which is six. So I set it right in the middle. So if it's five or greater, then there will be some sort of a twist. Right off the bat. Ah! Let's roll the stability die here. Four. Okay. So no, there's no twist. Uh, so now we need to know, is there some, are they in some sort of a city kind of escape? Um, or are they in the wilderness? We'll say, are they in the city? Uh, I'm going to say, just really, we're going to go, so it says somewhat is 50-50 on here, so I'm going to say somewhat uh, likely that they're, that this is a city. Um, so we're going to roll 3d6, and then we're going to try to see if it's, uh, the target number is greater than or equal to. Okay, so we have... Uh, nine on the, the blue dice, so we have ten, so it's actually, no. So they're not actually in a city here. They're in some sort of, some sort of a more of a wilderness scene. Uh, so I think they're, they're by some sort of a lake here, and, um, there's just pollution in the water. There's not really the, uh, life that you would normally expect to be teeming around the lake. So we have the, the party, and I haven't statted up, um, I haven't statted up Shale or anything yet. I'm going to leave him just as an NPC for now. Stat him up if we need to later. Um, they're standing around the lake looking around, and they're kind of struck by the by the quiet. Uh, it's, it's an unnatural quiet, though. The party can't help but feel uh, really isolated um, and really alone here. I think that that's the feeling here that permeates. I, I think the first thing they're going to do is they're going to look for any sort of 
um, any sort of shelter or a anything, anywhere where they can stop and regroup, try to see if they can find a vantage point to uh, to see anything really from here. All right. So is there sort of any sort of structure um, that they can they can find? Otherwise, they'll have to look for some sort of natural um, natural formation. So is there any sort of structure here that they can use to see around? Rolling on the oracle. I'll say somewhat likely so. Let's see. That is definitely a yes here. Uh, so yeah, there's some sort of a structure here. So I, I, I think there's some sort of like a um, a building right by the uh, next to this lake. Um, maybe it's not a lake at all, or maybe it's maybe it's more of a reservoir. Uh, that kind of like a, a hydroelectric dam kind of kind of thing here. Not that the party I don't think would have any idea what that is. Uh, but you and I may. So just to give you an idea, there's a grimy concrete building here. Uh, you can see, you know, shattered glass on the outside as they approach. Uh, it spans over part of the part of the reservoir here, part of the lake. Um, but it doesn't seem to be active. There's no sounds coming from it. Uh, it seems to be still. And who knows how long it's been here? Who knows how long it's been like that? Uh, yeah, I think they're they're going to continue to go inside uh, and try to see if there's a way up. So. Uh, Anna Thurston um, and Joyce all head up. Um, they're trying to find somebody here. They don't know who. They don't know how to find whomever. They know they need to find Iris and Warder still. Uh, Shale's with them. And they're trying to find out this ladder. Thurston says, um, oh, yeah, I think this, this leads up somewhere up to the top. Maybe we can take a look up there. Uh, so he starts to climb. And on the way up, he's... He's, he feels the cold steel of the ladder as he climbs up. There's a, a bit of a, a wind that's blowing, a, a slight breeze that's blowing by, which I don't know that there's been much of one before, but it's just a constant small breeze. The air feels stale and, and lifeless. There's no bird, There are no birds in the sky, at least not none that they can see right now. Uh, and as he looks out, it's hard to tell even the time of day, he gets to the top of this, uh, this concrete structure, and he looks out, uh, trying, to, trying to determine really where where they are. So I think we need to ask a few questions. I think one of them, does he see signs of any sort of other civilization, or is this all uh, become just wilderness? Uh, I'm going to say that uh, someone, I'm going to stick with somewhat for now, um, it's somewhat likely that, that there's some sort of signs of civilization here. Uh, let's see, 11, so no. Uh, there's no, no signs of civilization here. It's it's pretty grim. Uh, maybe there's maybe there's rubble somewhere else, but he's not able to see any. Um, and he looks around, and it, and it's just, it's maybe it's even more wooded than they would have been used to in Treyminster. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about. There's not there's no not only no city, but there's no signs of villages uh, around. Uh, so the next thing he's going to look for is does he see any sort of signs, like any smoke coming from anywhere, or signs that. Uh, uh, any, any sort of direction to go, so they're not just wandering aimlessly uh, at the moment. Uh, does he see any sort of artificial signs like that? We'll say it's, again, somewhat likely. Uh, no. So they don't see... Uh, they don't see anything there. That's an 8. It's, a, it's under the uh, target number of 11. So, yeah. It's just... It's just... They feel very alone. Uh, so I think the last thing he's going to look for then, and I'm not going to roll for this because this would be the opposite of that. He's going to look for uh, some sort of I guess some sort of uh, another area that they can head to to try to just see if there's anything 
anything they can stumble across. Um, and he, he heads back down the ladder and uh, catches up with, uh, with Aneth and with Joyce. He looks at them, and uh, Joyce, Joyce looks at him and says, Did you see anything? Were there, were there signs of anything? No, I, I didn't see much of anything. There was no smoke coming from anywhere. There were no signs of buildings or no signs of structures other than this one. Uh, wherever we are, we seem to be to be very isolated. Aneth looks and says, well, "What direction do you think we should go then? When we can't, I mean, I, I suppose we could stay here, but if we're trying to find Iris and Warder, I think we should get moving as quickly as possible." Yes, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I think though the only thing we can really head to is there's a there's some sort of a cave. Uh, it's not it's not too far from here. It, it seems. Like, we could potentially make it in, in a day's worth of travel. Uh, it's in the side of the large side of, of rock. Of, there's a, a sheer mountain face, and inside it looks like there's some sort of a cave system. Uh, I could be wrong. It's, it's a long way away, but I, it's really the only feature here that stands out. And then Joyce says, well, but we, we have kind of a structure here. Maybe we should stay here, and we should... We should wait it out, maybe, and see if, if what we can notice, what we can observe here. And I think they kind of forget themselves. They look around, and they look back at Shale, um, who has sacrificed everything to come here to help them. And he's got kind of a grim look uh, on his face. And I think they can tell that he is suffering this loss as his, his brow is a bit furrowed. He's, he's given everything up, and his kind of response here is, for what? You know, for this dingy, um, sort of overgrown, but I, I don't know that there's a ton of vegetation. That's a question we can ask in a second. Like, is there actual growth, or are there the remnants of, of all this, of the, these trees? Um, or has something happened here, and nature is starting to take over again? That's what we'll have to discover, I suppose. But this is, for sure, this is not what he was expecting. It's, it's definitely far from the desert home, uh, the desert planet that he's grown. Uh, and he can't help but wonder if... If his friends back uh, on, on the planet uh, they were on before, if, if they've managed to succeed and overthrow the Evolve Corporation, uh, he doesn't, yeah. Forrest and Corbin are still back there. Chibizo is still back there, presumably fighting, but he doesn't even know how far away he is. He could be uh, a lifetime uh, of travel away. He could be lifetimes of travel away. He, he doesn't even know. Um, and there's a weight that's kind of hang, hanging in the air beyond sort of the grimy dinginess of the of the scenery. And there's a there's a bit of silence as the party looks at him, not really knowing what to say. And I think that uh, Aneth just walks over and uh, she tries to put her hand on, on his shoulder, but she's much shorter than him, so she kind of just like uh, like tugs at his sleeve for a second, uh, but trying to be reassuring. I think only, only glances are exchanged as the, there's too few words. Um, but they kind of look to him, and after a period of time, he says, I think that we should we should start moving. Uh, we could stay here, but there's nothing really to stay here about. Uh, and I, I'm not so sure that you know we should be exploring uh, this structure, but at least we know it's here. We can always come back if we need to. We can follow it from the lake, but I think we need to head up. We need to head up to the, the rock face you're talking about and see if there's anything in that cave. So... The party decides. They kind of nod. The party decides to move on. They're gonna. They're gonna journey over there. So, we are still kind of in the wilderness. We're gonna use some old school essentials charts as well, for um, 
for wilderness travel here. So again, we're going to follow the procedure here in the end papers once per wilderness day. Uh, party decides the course of travel, which they're headed to the, to the cliff face. Uh, they're going to have to go through some uh, some trees. I, I'm going to ask the I want to ask the oracle real quick: Are these actually is this actual vegetation, or is this more of uh, the remnants of vegetation? I'm going to say that uh, it's it's very likely that this is actual vegetation that's taken over. Here's the oracle. Uh, yes, so it's definitely over the target number of eight. So yes, this is actual vegetation. So they continue heading through the trees, uh, through the thick trees. At least this is more familiar for most of the party, maybe not shale, but they're headed through. Uh, so now we need to roll for roll, losing direction, uh, which is a d6 roll. So in, uh, it says, um, barren hills, mountain woods, it's a two and six chance. So if I get a one or a two, then they're going to lose their direction uh, and get lost on the way. Here's the roll. It's a six, so no, they're able to navigate. Uh, there's enough clearing in, in the woods in various spots where they can see this, this huge cliff face. Next, we're going to roll for wandering monsters. Now, depending on how this scenario goes, I, I kind of pitched this as a post-apocalypse wasteland, but I don't even know what kind it is. So we'll roll for the monsters in here, and if it's something that seems like it doesn't fit the genre, whatever the genre is that's happening right now, again, we're playing to discover what it is, then we can I, I may reskin the monsters like I have done a little bit before. But regardless, I think everything in here is super solid, so we're going to continue. So wandering monsters, this is again barren, desert, forest, and hills. There's a 2 and 6 chance that they encounter some sort of a wandering monster, so a 1 or a 2. Here's the roll. So it's a 3. So no, they don't, they don't seem to encounter any sort of any wandering monsters. I don't think they really see much uh, in the way of animal life at the moment uh, at all. Uh, I don't think they're um, foraging or anything like that, uh, so they're, they're just trying to move as much as they can. So they pass through the woods, and, and it, it's kind of unsettling, I, I think, that if you've ever been in the woods, I mean, you don't always, you're not always seeing things around every corner, but they're seeing nothing. They, they're not seeing any sort of insect life, or at least at the moment. Um, maybe, maybe they are, but maybe it exists, but maybe it's not right here. But really, it's, it's bizarre. Really, they're only experiencing the plant life here as they continue through. Uh, yeah, so that means that they're going to be able to reach that cliff face uh, at the end of that day. I think that they are relatively in control here. We'll kind of move on to the next scene as they approach the cliff face here. So we'll take the stability up to six, which is probably going to be more stable than they've experienced in all of their adventures. <laughs> so yeah, as they, they come up to this cliff face here, they see... Um, or not cliff face, I suppose. It's a... Oh man, I really wish I knew had better terms for this, but I, I'm kind of imagining it's almost like an Ansel Adams photo. You have this this huge, uh, huge face of rock on the, on the, I guess the mountainside. There's a ridge up there, and this is a huge, a huge face here. Um, it's just completely, completely rocky. Um, maybe some sort of like a limestone or something. And in, there's this cave entrance, this clear cave entrance on the inside. Um, need to look around because. Uh, you never know what you really you're going to find in these caves, but uh, for some reason they find themselves drawn to it. Uh, I think it's just the only feature that stands out. You know, maybe it'll go off beef or not, but I think they just have this feeling that they have to keep moving forward. So they start heading through the cave. So I think they have. Uh, we've not really gotten into a lot of resources here, um, but somebody is going to have presumably a torch that they're going to expend. And I think Thurston is going to use one of his. They continue 
into the cave. We're going to see what we find here. So now we're going to kind of move into using the dungeon procedures. I think the procedures work really well for solo play, uh, especially. Um, I, I think they work really well for group play as well, but I just think for solo play, especially having the having the procedures is really nice. So they're going to continue through this cave, and um, a turn, a, a dungeon turn here is going to be about every ten minutes or so uh, in in game time. So they are uh, headed through the cave. So they've been they've been uh, going for a while trying to see what they find. I think for a while they, they followed these natural kind of uh, natural kind of caves, kind of look at your expecting to see some stalactites, some stalagmites. Uh, I can never remember which one's which. I'm sure that you guys do, but for I can never remember. So they're, they're kind of wandering through this cave, not seeing much. There's probably a couple pools of water in various places. Again, so far, anyways, it's been uh, devoid of uh, any sort of life, which is just unsettling. They're not exactly sure what they're looking for. Uh, so first, we're going to take this first turn. We're going to roll to see if they encounter any sort of wandering monsters in this dungeon. Um, it says typically one in six every two turns is the chance. So we'll skip the wandering monsters for the first turn here as they're just kind of looking around. Um, and then it's got, um, it says party decides course of actions, and then description, and then end of turn. So checking every once in a while and see what we can find. So I think we can ask our oracle if we see uh, really what we're seeing. Um, I think it's possible that they start to see some sort of some sort of artificial structures in here, or something that draws their attention. Uh, so do they, do they see signs of anything uh, um, artificial in here? I'm gonna say it's uh, somewhat likely. It's kind of my default, unless I feel strongly one way or the other. I'm gonna say it's somewhat likely. Our stability, uh, which actually we should probably roll. It's a new scene with the party entering the cave. We should probably roll on the stability. So if, if it's a six, basically, then there will be some sort of a twist to this um, as they're continuing through. It is not, so they continue through. And now we want to know, uh, uh, somewhat. We'll say it's somewhat likely. Is there some sort of artificial structure of any kind in here? All right. So we have a uh, target number of eleven, and we have exactly eleven. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's there's something artificial. I, what? Let's see. Let, what would we think it is? Maybe it's like, um, maybe some sort of a doorway. Um, I think it would certainly fit this real set pretty well. And I'm going to go with it. I think that sounds cool. This is maybe not the genre I thought I was getting into, but I'm hey, just here to discover it. I'm not here to uh, to write it as much. I'm trying to just play to see what happens. So they encounters this this door here. Uh, I think, let's see. We need, I think we need to know what kind of door it is, because it's going to affect a lot. Is it some sort of a, like a metal door? Like that, or that looks, um, like it has some, it's related to some sort of tech, like maybe it's a, a tech level similar to what uh, is on that, like the hydroelectric dam? Or is it some sort of an archaic, ancient, or even even uh, um, uh, like a, a door, kind of like the scene with the portals before, in a way? Uh, so is this um, more more of a high tech door, like a concrete door? I'm gonna say that that's likely here, actually. Uh, yes. So it is. So it's 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 more of a more of like a, a steel. A steel door sitting there. Maybe there's a there's a bit of a, a panel or a gearbox next to it, and they they go to they go to look at it, and uh, Thurston kind of kind of looks and says like, "Well, uh, I suppose we've started to find what, what we've come looking for. I don't know what could be behind here, but we, we have to keep moving." So yeah, we're gonna use some of the rules for doors here. So. 
Uh, I think the first things first, uh, Aneth is going to go uh, listen at the door. Uh, so just as a reminder, because we're in Old School Essentials, they're slightly different from basic fantasy role-playing that I started out with. Um, it's very much a similar game. I'm using the Ascending Armor class, at least for now, because why not? Um, yeah, it's more consistent with, with, with what I was playing before. Um, one of the big differences, though, is the race's class, so Aneth is no longer, uh, she's no longer a thief. She is a uh, halfling, which is her species, but also her class. Um, and then Thurston is pretty much the same, being a fighter. Joyce, being a magic user, is pretty much the same. The only other person that will have to really have anything different later is um, Iris, because she, if, if we're still using Old School Essentials at that point, because she was an elven cleric, and that's not really going to be a thing here, although we could tweak it to make it exist. Um, so Aneth is going to go listen at the door to see if she hears anything through there. So there's a procedure for this. So it's a normally a 1 in 6 chance of success, but because she's a halfling, she actually has a 2 in 6 to listen at the at door. So first we're going to see, we're going to ask, you know, if, if she would hear anything, and then next we're going to see if there's anything to hear. So Aneth puts her ear to this concrete, uh, or the steel door, rather, feeling the cold, in this case, grimy steel uh, against her ear. Um, would she be successful? Two, so yes. So if there's anything to hear, she would hear it. So now we need to ask the oracle, uh, does she hear anything behind the door? Just leave it at 50-50, essentially. So we have target number of 11, here's the roll. And that is exactly an 11. Uh, so yes, she does hear something behind the door. Uh, let's see, I think we need to know if it's some sort of like, an, again, a natural or an artificial sound. Does she hear any sort of creatures back there? Or does she hear the sounds of any sort of machinery? So we'll say, um, either the sounds of any creatures back there, uh, we'll leave it 50-50, and we get exactly the result that we are looking for there. So yeah, there's some sort of creature back there. Um, so I think she hears and she says, um, there's something, there's something stirring back there. I'm not sure what it is, I can't hear it through the door that well, but I, we're definitely not alone in the cave anymore. So. I think the party stands there for a minute, not knowing exactly what to do, and uh, decide they have to they have to see what's back there. Um, but they, yeah, they want to try to they want to try to figure out what's what's back there. But they don't necessarily want to anger whatever it is either. So I think most of the party stands back from the door, um, from the side, so that they could make potentially make a break for it if they need to. And then uh, I think. Thurston goes to the front and slowly begins to open the door uh, as, as best he can. So I, I, I think it's a steel door, so I don't think he knows exactly um, how to open it. So this is something I think we need to figure out too. So there's sort of this panel next to it. Is he able to find an immediate immediate way to open this door? Let's say somewhat, again, somewhat likely. Uh, no. So he actually can't seem to find some specific way of opening the door here. Um, it doesn't seem to budge when he moves it. He's not used to this kind of thing. And um, then he says, the, the door won't open. And then he, he looks over at the panel next to him. It doesn't seem to have any, any obvious uh, obvious things there. So I think they're going to have to try to, to force it somehow. Um, so he's just going to try to see if he can just rip it open. So we're going to make a strength check here. Probably gonna have to, I'm probably going to rely a bit more on ability score checks than I did um, with uh, basic fantasy role-playing. So, uh, let's see, Thurston here has a strength of 11, so he needs to roll uh, under his uh, under his strength in order to succeed here. I suppose it would be uh, equal to or under, 
Uh, but in this case, I totally, I almost forgot that there's actually a thing for specifically for forcing open doors that um, is modified by strength. Uh, so Thurston has a two and six chance to force the door open. Otherwise, they're gonna have to find another way to try to open this door. So uh, here comes the roll. A five. Yeah, no. So he keeps pulling with all his might, but he just can't open this this steel door. And he looks at me back and he says, "There's just. It seems like there's no way to open this. I, I think we're gonna have to find another way. Um, we're gonna have to continue exploring." So. At least we know it's here. We can um, we maybe use something to leave a trail uh, to, you know, so, to, so we know how to find the way back. So I think they're going to continue exploring a little bit, taking it just a little bit slower uh, and trying to leave, like, an intentional, like, trail of rocks uh, through the through the cave so that they can follow this, like, extremely straight trail of rocks, like, like breadcrumbs, really. All right, so we've had a couple turns, so it's now time to make another wandering monster check to, to see if anything comes upon them. So one and six... It's a six. Um, I always do the, the like blank in six chance, and that's that or lower. So in this case, there's no wandering monster encounter. So they continue moving on, uh, trying to see if they can find anything else. Uh, do they come up across any sort of other, uh, any, any sort of other things of note? Any sort of uh, other artificial structures? I should say. We'll definitely find something to note. But is it artificial? Target number is eleven on the oracle here. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, exactly eleven again. Um, <clears throat> So they, they continue through uh, through the cave. They find something else. Uh, what do they find? So before they found some sort of a door. Uh, is this uh, some? Let's see. It could be some sort of a door. It could be um, some sort of machinery. Maybe um, it's definitely artificial. Um, it could be some sort of like a an ornamental structure or even one of my very favorite sorts of things like a monolith. Um, yeah. Is it something that's more like a monolith uh, just sitting there, like an obelisk? Uh, sort of a thing, artificial in that way, and then it stands out, um, or is it mechanical? So I'm gonna say, is it is it something more like an obelisk? And I'm gonna say it's likely just because I think that stuff is super cool. Uh, let's see, the target number for that is nine. So uh, what we ended up with is exactly nine. This is kind of funny serendipity. We keep I keep rolling exactly the target numbers. So yeah, there's some sort of a a, a monolith. As, as they keep going through, they what, what strikes them as weird is there's there's a, uh, a monolith that's there standing in, in one of those larger cavern rooms, standing probably 30, 40 feet high. Um, uh, I'm really bad at distances. It's probably like, uh, you know, uh, ten, you know eight, 8 to 10 feet wide, maybe. This tall monolith, it looks to be made out of some sort of uh, obsidian or uh, some, some really like dark stone but that has a somewhat reflective quality and I think that there's something just completely unsettling when they stare at this thing they they definitely it, it's it's unsettling to see this thing it's not a, it's not just a curious like oh wow that's cool it's more of a there's there's a, a feeling of dread for certain that that enters them as they stare at this thing and they're sort of uh, as they look at it they're sort of uh, light in a way that seems to emerge from it, like a, a um, like a colored light, like maybe like a, a tealish kind of light uh, emanates from parts of it that it, um, illuminate. There's uh, sigils um, on this monolith as they're staring it, uh, and it, it yeah, it's very it's definitely very intimidating for them as they as they stare up at it. So I think this is the next scene. Uh, they weren't actually super in control of the last scene. They. they have been wandering but unable to find much of anything and can't get in anywhere either so the stability is going to go down to five so we begin the next scene um <clears throat> first we're going to check the stability uh 
so yeah, it's not above it or equal, so the, the scene continues without a twist. So we're going to start the scene with a yes or no question, as they're, we're, they're investigating this monolith. Um, I, I think we just need to know if, if anything else happens. Does there anything speak to them uh, from the monolith, or are they, is something revealed to them? Uh, are they communicated with at any point? I think these are some things that we need to know. So first, does the monolith in any way try to communicate with them specifically? I'm going to say that that's not very likely here. So that would be a 12 or higher. So I don't think it's very likely um, that this monolith is trying to directly communicate with them. Um, but actually, yes. So uh, yeah, actually. Uh, the monolith uh, begins to glow ever brighter and, and reach out to them. Now, here's the thing. I don't think this is going to be uh, like a... I don't think this is going to be just like when they were doing stuff in the, in the caves on the other planet. Uh, so I think what it's trying to communicate is much less uh, benevolent than the, the creatures of the desert planet, uh, the spirits of the desert planet, uh, maybe had in mind. I think there's something much more malevolent that this thing is trying to communicate. Um, so we need to know if it's either a uh, intentionally threatening them, uh, you know, or if they, it gives them some sort of a vision, either of past doom or future doom. So is it more of a threat or more of a vision? So I'm going to ask if it's more of a, a vision. I'm going to say that that's uh, likely. That's more of like a, a vision kind of thing. Uh, yes, definitely. It's definitely. Uh, it's more of a vision uh, of some sort of a doom. <clears throat> so, it's a vision of doom. Is it a vision of past doom or a vision of future doom? That's really what we need to know. Like, is it more of like what has happened here, um, or is it more of what is going to happen? I'm gonna ask. Is it is it more likely what is going to happen? And I'm gonna say it's likely that it's more of this future kind of uh, prophecy of doom. Target number is ten. So. Okay, so we have a few things that happen. It's funny how the dice always do this. So for one, yes, it's a vision of future doom. So it's it's warning them about this this vision of future doom. Uh, and uh, two, we have the the two same colored dice um, are doubles. So we get uh, an and. So uh, yeah, they're not all odd. So we don't have an event. That would have been a pretty cool too. Um, so yes, it's a vision of doom, a future doom, and so it would be a yes and. Also, my kids are starting to wake up and make sounds in the background, so ignore that. But moving on, yeah, so it's a vision of future doom here. Yes, and I think there's actually two visions. There is one here on this planet, which we'll get into what they see in a second. There's uh, there's things that are lurking around that are are horrible and um, not you know not what they're expecting. They're almost incomprehensible. Uh, there's these creatures that are lurking, and they see a vision of the of shadows pouring over this planet. Um, who knows what happened here in the past, but whatever whatever was here doesn't seem to mostly be here before. Uh, like, whatever lived here before doesn't even live here now, except for mostly these plants. It seems completely devoid of any sort of uh, animal life so far, as far as we can tell. It, so it seems that whatever's coming has decided that it's claiming this land. Um, so who knows where on earth Warder is or how, like, they were brought here for a reason. The reason is definitely unclear. Uh, either probably even more unsure now of how to find uh, Warder or Iris uh, than, than they were before. But, the and. So they, it, they're shown this vision. And then they're also shown another vision of a sort of a doom back in Treyminster. Back where they've started. 
they see this before right from the back of the beginning of this of this adventure where there was this invasion uh in the city by these rogue orcs as they had signed this treaty they go back they're shown this vision of the city and it's completely uh chaos is not really the right word but they are in some sort of a dire situation they hear kind of vague like there's screams uh there's a darkness over the land so it's it's like a supernatural darkness not just a metaphorical one but but there's like a an actual like supernatural darkness over the land here there's there's more than meets the eye back in Treyminster. They, they they see that they're um, the place is completely overrun. Um, there are fires at, at various parts, um, but I think they get there's something hinted at back in Treyminster that they can't quite place. They don't know exactly what it means yet, but they see this vision of Treyminster as well, and then they see the last vision is this one horrible eye staring back at them for just a second. They're all having this shared vision. It's the eye stares at them for one second, and it doesn't seem just like they're looking at an image of an eye, but more of the the image of the eye is looking at them, like they're seen here right now in this moment. And no, I guess I, I'm picking from tropes. Like it's not like the eye of Sauron kind of thing. Like it looks like an actual physical eye from some sort of some creature, but it's so up close that they can't tell what it is. But it's, it appears to peer directly into them. And then the monolith, I, I think what's going to happen here is the monolith, uh, the, the, you know, that I've been staring at, the monolith changes from that, like, teal color that's been emanating from the runes into a deep, deep blood red, but still a light that's emanating, but, like, a deep blood red. And then it flashes bright. And then, for a moment, the, the tunnel is completely dark. And that's where I'm going to end this adventure, because again, my kids are getting loud in the background, and I think this is a good place to end it. So there's been this, they've been contacted by this monolith, and I think everything's about to break loose. Not the genre that I thought we were getting into, but I am super into it. So hopefully you are as well. Hopefully you're really enjoying the adventure. Again, you can call in uh, on Anchor. If you go to the subclass act on Anchor, even if you listen to it on another podcast medium, you can send a voice message that way. I'll put my email in the description so you can send me an audio file that way if you'd like. Um, yeah. Uh, if you have a moment uh, and you're enjoying the show, please, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give a review on whatever whatever place you get your podcasts, uh, whether it's um, Pod uh, Podcatcher or um, you know I use a Podcast Addict or if you use Apple Podcasts, any of that uh, would be would be great. Uh, the only payment I really get from the show is just knowing that people are enjoying it. There's never going to be any ads or any sort of monetization of this podcast whatsoever. Um, so. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated, uh, so that it help other people be able to see uh, the content. If you if you think they would enjoy it, also if you if you are enjoying the show, uh, tell a friend and if you think they may have enjoyed it as well. Uh, again, feel free to call in with anything. Um, you know, you can just say that you're enjoying the show, but also I'd love if you have feedback, good or negative, um, on on the show and in any any sort of systems or oracles that you're interested. Uh, there's a, a previous call-in that mentioned a various oracle. We've used Mune from that before. I haven't used the uh, Game Master's Adventure one, which is a deck one, uh, just because I, I need to better print out the cards and cut them, um, which is a little bit harder, but I, I do plan on getting to that at some point. And the other request at one point was for 5th edition, which, like I said, I do actually have plans to do that at some point, but it's hard for me to do that with multiple characters just because I I found that while 5th edition is great, actually, it's actually really good, I think, for soloing because there's more kinds of stuff there, and I've got plenty of books. I've got Xanathar's and and just got Tasha's, 
cauldron but for me to have three pcs is a lot that's a lot of stuff for me to track for all of them i just get overwhelmed by the by the stuff on the character sheet for for soloing multiple npcs so i hope at some point to do if i have a single npc segment or maybe in a different season i have a single npc i could certainly use fifth edition for that and it would work quite well um so i i have heard about that yes um and i want to do that at some point i just can't do it with the current way the the story is going currently um Again, it's kind of the same reason why I hadn't, hadn't for this segment so far moved them to Savage Worlds or, or to anything like that that's a, a bit more heavyweight just because I'm playing multiple PCs. Um, yeah, so thanks again for listening to Subclass Act. I hope, Like I said, I hope to get on a more regular schedule um, since uh, Jason told me in the call-ins earlier that he's going to be harassing me now to make new episodes. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to keep cranking them out for you. We'll have to see what happens next with a party. Until next time.